This is Channel 253. In this episode of Citizen Tacoma. Nobody should feel afraid to get the help they need. And I know now, talking to people I know that are people of color, they wouldn't even call 911 for help. And that's, that's troubling to me, to know there's a whole portion of our population that's paying for something but getting nothing. And they're living in fear of that. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Welcome back to another episode of Citizen Tacoma. I am your host, Eric Hanberg, and today's episode is with Sarah Rumbaugh, candidate for District 2 City Council of Tacoma. Uh, This and then the other interview that uh, should be right before this one with Kelly Blucher uh, are the two candidates up for District 2. Uh, if you are in District 2, have your ballot out after you listen to the, these two episodes. And if you are not in District 2, uh, there's two good episodes to find out uh, more about the people who are running uh, for city council. So let's give uh, Sarah's interview a listen. Welcome back to Citizen Tacoma. We are talking with candidates uh, for city council. And my guest this episode is Sarah Rumbaugh. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me today. So um, let's start with uh, your Tacoma story. Tell me, tell me about yourself. Well, I think to start about my Tacoma story, we have to start with me living in West Seattle and being a stay-at-home mom with two little girls and figuring out what I was doing with my life. And I went to a rally for Chris Gregoire for mm. governor. And while I was there, I looked around and thought, <clears throat> there aren't any women here that are moms. I thought, where are all the moms? And that's when I sort of thought to myself, I need to get involved. I need to find what I should be doing to make a difference so that my voice is heard. Hmm. And from there, I I looked for a volunteer position, and the volunteer position I found was with uh, Congressman Adam Smith. And so I went and volunteered to his office, did fundraising, and it turned into a full-time gig. Wow. And from there, I moved my daughters and myself to... Uh, Tacoma. I met my husband, Stan, got married. And that's my Tacoma story. That's how I got here. And that was, gosh, uh, 16 years ago. Yeah, that's wonderful. So you are running for City Council District 2. Um, And for those who don't know, that's Northeast Tacoma, the Port, Downtown, Stadium, um, Old Town. Old Town. Oh, okay. Over by University of Puget Sound to North 6th. I missed that it went that far. And okay. the fabulous thing is that driving here today, I got to stay in District 2 the whole time. The whole time. Right. <laughs> um, my question to you is, why run for city council? Well, that starts with running for Pierce County Council last year. I came within 2,000 votes of my opponent, Hans Eicher. And that was like a marathon to have done that to know that you could work that hard during a pandemic and to have come so close. I mean, I wasn't allowed to doorbell. We lit dropped, but that's nothing. And 
that just inspired me to know that I had it in me to do this. Um, from there, I just thought I'd never run again for office. <laughs> and uh, it was people like Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland, Robert Toms, who sits in the seat right now. Thank you, Robert, who convinced me I should run for this seat. And I thought, you know, all of the things I was running on last time for Pierce County Council all resonated in this district, in our city, things that we needed to work on. And so I felt like I had an agenda that we needed to do, that we needed to make happen. When you think about uh, the district, what are the top three issues that are affecting um, that the, the residents of the district right now? Gosh, I wish that the News Tribune had asked me this question <laughs> because they didn't ask about my district in particular. And my district is just probably one of the most um, impactful districts in the city because the Port of Tacoma is there. And so one of the biggest issues is um, what's happening with the port and the environment and uh, climate change. That's probably one of the biggest issues. The other is that the downtown is located there, and we have um, a lot of the people who are doing the social services providers for homelessness are in downtown Tacoma. So that's another issue is the homeless crisis. And then I would say the biggest one that's impacting the whole city is uh, affordable housing. Yeah, absolutely. Let's dig into some of those, and we can start with uh, the port and climate change. So the port is, you know, an economic engine, it's considered, because of the trade that comes through, the jobs that it creates, the businesses that rely on it. Uh, the question of fossil fuels, though, is one of the big questions, and the city is considering, you know, what their role is in regulating that. What's your sense of how to weigh those different things? Well, I think we have to look nationally to see what's happening in that environment uh, with fossil fuels. And if you just the other day, um, Ford is going to open up new factories. They're hiring 11,000 new employees to work on their electric um, vehicle, which is the Ford F-150. And I think it's called the Lightning. They already have 150,000 pre-orders on that truck. Wow. So that's like a, already a statement that things are changing. And I just don't think that Tacoma should be behind the curve. I think we should be ahead of this and be thinking about what does it look to, like to be a port that's thinking about the next thing rather than waiting to be the last people storing fossil fuels at our port, which, by the way, just seems to be an expensive use for land that's worth so much. And as you drive from my house out in northeast Tacoma to downtown Tacoma, you see all these storage, um, you know, facilities for fossil fuels. And I just think that we need to be thinking about what we're going to do next. And that's one of the things I'm running on is the idea that we do not need to be a fossil fuel dependent port. Yeah. So no new infrastructure for, for fossil fuels? Is no. that? We don't need new infrastructure. I think that if we look at the non-interim tide flat regulations, which I don't think anyone on your show has talked about yet, um, the city council is going to be voting next Tuesday, I believe, um, on the on the non-interim tide flat regulations, which will provide a vehicle for us to move away from fossil fuels. Great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, you also mentioned, and I'm going to kind of tease these two things out from each other, both downtown and kind of homelessness. So let's start with with uh, let's start with homelessness because it is such a, a big issue right now. 
What are some of the ways that you think we should be addressing that as a community? Well, I think that we are doing some positive things. We're thinking about it on a regional basis about our county rather than just the city of Tacoma handling all of the homeless crisis. When Connie Lattenberg was on the county council, she constantly beat that drum about homelessness doesn't just happen in Tacoma. It happens everywhere in Pierce County. And that's what the Ending Homelessness Coalition is looking at, is how we can get those services throughout our county. I think the way I differ on this is just the idea that we are spending a lot of money on sheltering and we need to spend more money on transitional housing and permanent housing. And I keep saying everyone deserves a door, Hmm. Uh, meaning that everyone deserves a place to live. And I'm talking about the most chronically homeless people that you see on the streets on South Yakima that are um, probably have the most barriers to getting into home, into housing. There are people who have drug addiction, um, mental health issues. We are 46th in the nation on spending on mental health. And so we are just not spending enough money to really take care of that, that issue. And it's impacting our city because we're not able to help people who really need those services. So when we think about that, um tiny house villages or emergency shelters are some of the things that you think we should think of? Or where where, do you, where does your head go on that? My head goes to the idea that we have only purchased one motel mm. on South Hosmer. And we have all this ARPA funding from the federal government. And it just seems like this is the time to buy some housing, buy motels, hotels. Um, the city of Tacoma, of Seattle just purchased three market rate apartments for low income housing. I mean, they are making a difference for as much as we might put down our neighbor to the north. I really see them making some like really drastic um, decisions that will change the future of Seattle. And I'd like to see Tacoma do a little bit more of that. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, Downtown. So I used to live downtown. I was a resident from like 02 to 15, I think. I've worked downtown, and I think previously I thought of uh, this is like a COVID blip that we were going to through, but now I'm a little worried that it might be bigger than that. What's your sense of the issues facing downtown and what we what we might need to do? So what made you leave downtown is my first question for you. Uh, there were four of us, a cat and a business and a small condo. Okay. It was, it had, we, we were, kinda when, when I, when I bought situation. it, it was just me. So yeah. uh, we kind of uh, filled every nook and cranny. Well, you know, the cat can take up so much oh, space. The cat really can. Right. Uh, I would say that I think our downtown is underutilized. Um, we are constantly looking for that one business that's going to come downtown and solve our solution that Russell was that business, and then, oh, State Farm is going to be there, and it's going to be fabulous. I don't really see it as one big business that's going to come. I see it as a lot of satellite businesses that might locate. Or looking at University of Washington in Seattle and asking, is there a way that their operations could be located in Tacoma? Because right now, they've run out of space in, at the University of Washington in Seattle for even more dorms. I mean, my daughter goes to school there. They rely so heavily on off, you know, off um, campus housing. 
And it's it just can't continue that way. It's a fabulous campus, but they need to look at how how could they continue to grow and then allow maybe some of that business to take place in Tacoma. Yeah. And so I think that there's a lot of things happening. I think we should be looking and I'm not I'm not privy to a lot of information that's going on in the city about what they're planning right now. But I've looked at other cities and what they're doing, and um, it was more like a planned unit, like planning a bigger like plan for what will happen with um, Tacoma rather than just little piecemeal things. And I was a city planner, so I am the kind of person to think proactively rather than reactively. I think underutilizing your downtown is just why we have what we have going on right now is that there aren't a lot of people there. And I think adding more housing definitely is a positive. Yep. And that's something I really support. I'm not sure it should all be apartments. There may be, a, you know, there should be more types of housing on that continuum. And I talk a lot about that as well. Townhomes, condominiums. Um, and, and I think that that would be a great mix for downtown until we take care of some of these issues we have that make it unsafe, um, where people don't feel like they can be there. I used to own a condominium downtown as well, and I was renting it out. And there were so many issues with break-ins at our condominium, and we had to do a lot of work on security. And I thought to myself, I don't feel safe renting this unit to the person I was renting it to because I'm not here in the building all the time to make sure things are happening. So I ended up selling it to somebody who could actually be located there to be a part of the solution. So I think that's that's really important that we look to say, how do we solve some of these problems that are downtown that make it hard for business to be located there, hard for people who want to live there to be there? I mean, it's got to be safe. And it's got to, and safe means a lot of different things for people. Safe means that you should be able to walk downtown past like nine o'clock and feel safe. Is that some of that issue that we don't have good lighting? Maybe. Do we need to do some infrastructure upgrades? I think so. Uh, and that's, you know, that's something that we need to talk about because we have to decide what kind of city we want to have. Yeah. Thank you. Let's move over to affordability, um, which is obviously related to the homelessness crisis. But how do you think about um, our affordability question and, you know, what are some things you think we should should do about it? Well, right now, people are being displaced from their housing. Yeah. I mean, they can't afford to live here. And that's just so unfortunate. Um, it affects people of color um, on a larger scale than, than people like myself, a white woman with privilege. And I've been talking a lot about equity in housing. And we need to think about... When I think about this issue, I think the first thing I think is we just need more housing, period. More housing, all different types of housing. That could be tiny homes. That could be ADUs. That could be townhomes, condominiums, apartments, duplexes, triplexes. We just need more housing because right now what we have is a shortage of housing. And that's why you have these bidding wars <clears throat> where you see housing going for $50,000, $100,000 more than it should, that's just ridiculous. And that's because we just, 2008 happened, there was a downturn in the market, and Tacoma is a pretty conservative place um, when it comes to um, investment. And, and it's a good thing, 
And it's also a bad thing. And the bad thing is that we just haven't really caught up with the amount of people who are living here. Um, by 2040, they predict 139,000 people will live here. We need to more, be thi- more people. You mean more people? That's right. Now that doesn't mean that they're not like young right now, and then they'll be looking for a place that they're already living here. They might have gone to college, come back. You know, those. It's not just people coming here from Seattle, yeah. like everyone says, or right. San Francisco. Right. Everyone does not need to move to Tacoma. That's not what's going on. Um, but we are going to have the light rail in 2032, and we have, and that's going to be an opportunity for people to live here. That couldn't before because now there'll be a way to get to Seattle, you know, in a a faster manner than getting in your car, which can take two, two and a half hours sometimes in the morning. So I just, the first thing is to build more housing, all different types of housing. And then, you know, there's, you know, people, I've talked to a lot of people in my neighborhood, in my district, and they're wonderful people and they tell you what they think. Some of them yell at you. Some of them are really conscientious and I've really thought this through. They go to the neighborhood meetings. I really appreciate what they have to say. Based on what they're telling us, they want different types of housing in their neighborhoods, if we're talking about the North End, and then they see us putting this other type of housing maybe on the arterials, downtown, the Dome District. But we have to find a way to add this housing because we'll never get to that affordable part without more housing. So then there's the whole idea of you have to have public dollars. Public dollars are, you know, expensive to build with. Sure. Um, It's $400,000 a unit for a public housing, if we're using public dollars, compared to $190,000 for a private developer to build. So there's a difference in what it costs to do these public housing projects. And those dollars, that's why it's a good idea to try to create affordability using the private market because they can do it for less expensive. Doesn't mean that we don't want the housing authority to be building the 10,000 units that they're going to build. We do. But we, we're we um, without like the Build Back Better passing that Joe Biden's talking about. We're not going to have the funds we need necessary to build this housing that's affordable. Yeah. One of the things that is facing the council right now, and this might have been passed or not passed by the time it gets to January uh, when a new council take uh, take effect, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on the Home in Tacoma proposal. So we're sort of talking around Home yeah, in Tacoma, yeah, and I'm, just, I'm not afraid to talk about Home in Tacoma. I mention it, people mention it probably Every other person asks about where I stand on Home in Tacoma. I support Home in Tacoma. I strongly support it. That doesn't mean I support, you know, a fourplex on your corner in North End. Maybe I think that fourplex should be on the arterial street where the businesses are ready and the buses. That makes sense to me. I think that there's a low-scale version they're looking at right now of passing. I know it's in a committee right now, and it's going to be taken to the council, and hopefully they'll do the right thing and pass it. Um, But without that, rezoning our city, and I know rezoning is such a a scary thing to talk about, and there's a lot of fear involved in the uncertainty. And that's what I hear from people is the uncertainty of what that means, what's it going to look like in my neighborhood. And I think those are things that we need to address as a city with our citizens. And I think part of this is tied to the idea that this wasn't done by neighborhood 
um, neighborhood planning. It was done all over the city rather than thinking, how is every, every neighborhood different? And I know that that sounds strange, but we used to do neighborhood planning. And neighborhood planning is great because it's on a like more micro level. And every neighborhood's a little different. They have a different niche. And I think we need to think about why that neighborhood's a little different than the other neighborhood and what works there might be different than what works in another neighborhood. Hmm. I think about um, stadium as a really good example of what I think, because I love walking through stadium. And, you know, when I live downtown, that's where we would take our walks is up through that. And I think about it as a really good example of what home in Tacoma could create in many places because you would have a little fourplex next to a beautiful mansion. Maybe the next mansion's been divided into three or four units. Like it's it's dense, but you don't walk through feeling, you know, like you're um, walking through a canyon. You know, it's not Manhattan oh my or anything gosh. like that. You're talking my, my <laughs> vibe. So I used to live in Old Town. So I've only ever lived in District 2 as well since I've lived in Tacoma. I lived in Old Town and so... I think stadium is like part of my hood. Even though I live in Northeast Tacoma, I'm over here a lot. And I would say exactly what you said. What's exciting about stadium is that there's a lot of diversity. There's a lot of diversity in housing, but a lot of diversity in people who live there. Mm-hmm. Um, different ages of people, different um, different types of people, um, people of color live there. You know, it just it's vibrant and exciting and they've been able to do a lot of creative things and the neighborhood um on the main streets it's sort of just it's it's developed and become this vibrant place uh, where the bus happens there's there's restaurants there's a grocery store i think a grocery store is really a significant important part of any neighborhood that's really thriving so I would say that that's exactly my, when I give examples, that's an example I give. Yeah. Um, the North Slope's another good example Absolutely. Um, of areas that has a lot of different types of housing. And you don't notice it because it's, it might be an apartment, but it's only, it's a smaller version of a large apartment. There are in stadium other large apartments and you don't notice them because of the way they're built or situated on the lot. Right. There is always that tension with people who live in the neighborhood about parking. And that's going to be the the issue with anything that goes in is how do we how do we talk about parking because everybody in in Tacoma we want to say we all could take the bus, but I live in Northeast Tacoma and there's only a bus in the morning and a bus at night. Yeah. We have no services. Yeah. And so talking to me about adding more density is like how are people going to get anywhere? I mean, for in my neighborhood, when we talk about the other side of town, it's just in Seattle, people live and work in Seattle. So taking the bus to work probably is very feasible. In Tacoma and in Pierce County in general, almost 50 percent of people before the pandemic were were um, leaving, the, leaving county the county every day to go to work. Yeah. And the facts are we just don't have a robust enough transit system to really make it work for people to like decide to get rid of a car. I think some people and families do do that and make it work, but not everybody can do that. And so we do have to talk about cars and parking. Those are hard things to talk about. These are all really difficult decisions, like things that we have to grapple with. And I think it's at some point, it's the city's job in certain neighborhoods to figure out how are we going to have the parking we need to have? If we want to have developers be able to build, and we know that parking is an expensive thing to have to add 
to their project. Totally. I mean, those are the facts that it is expensive to add that. How are we going to make up for that as a city? How are we going to help make that project happen? So what dollars do we have to add to make like a project um, pencil out? My understanding, though, is, is that if you if you the only way to get to a place where you don't need a car is to stop building parking. I mean, that's the tension there, right? right? It is. But we also need jobs that would be located here sure. so that people didn't have to drive to Seattle yeah. or to Olympia. We, there's no I mean, transit is I mean, that's so interesting that sound transit does not include to Thurston County. Because a lot of people in Tacoma drive there to work for the government, mm-hmm. for the state of Washington. Mm-hmm. And there isn't really that robust transit yeah. system. It'd be great to add another county. There would be. Yeah. It would be great. Well, thank you for that. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about uh, public safety and policing. So stick around. Hi, I'm Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma. And I've been a customer of TAPCO Credit Union since I was a kid. Really, my parents set up a savings account for me and I've had that account with them ever since. In fact, my first credit card wasn't from a big banking conglomerate. It was from TAPCO and I still have that too. What I appreciate about TAPCO is that they are intensely local. Just like Channel 253, TAPCO keeps its focus on just Tacoma and Pierce County. They have easy to reach locations in the Tacoma area and when I don't want to drive, I just use online banking and they still help parents teach their kids good savings habits. The Moolah Kids Club teaches kids about savings, not only through interest on their money, but with special prizes like cupcakes and discounts at local attractions. So if you want to help your kids start a savings account the same way my parents did, check out our local credit union at tapcocu.org. My thanks to TAPCO for their support of this podcast and Channel 253. Welcome back. Thank you to our sponsor and thank you to the members of Channel 253 who are supporting uh, what we do on Citizen Tacoma, Nerd Farmer, What Say You, Interchangeable White Ladies, all of the podcasts. We really appreciate your support. If you want to uh, help us out, it's $4 a month or $40 a year. You can go to channel253.com slash membership uh, to support us. Thanks so much. Back again with Sarah Rumbaugh to talk about what's happening in District 2 and Tacoma, of course. Um, I want to dig in on the policing public safety question. So we're at a moment where for the last at least year, but I think you could just make a reasonable case that like um, these issues have been happening for a long time. And it's only in the last year that we have you know, uh, much more dramatic proof of them. There's been a real anxiety around how Tacoma is policed. So we have the homicide of Manny Ellis. We have in January the officer who ran into a crowd with his vehicle. Um, And then there were the actions of the sheriff. And I'm just curious, how do you uh, think about these questions of policing in Tacoma? Well, I know you've been doing, you've been talking to current city council members as well about this issue. And I know that they are working on solutions. And I think it takes the community standing up um, to talk about this. Uh, and I know that I feel like there needs to be there needs to be an opportunity to to really delve into this in a couple ways. Okay. One of them is that nobody should feel afraid 
to get the help they need. And I know now, talking to people I know that are people of color, they wouldn't even call 911 for help. And that's, that's troubling to me, to know there's a whole portion of our population that's paying for something but getting nothing. And they're living in fear of that. Yeah. So that's a conversation that we still, I don't think, have had. And why, why is it like that? And it's the systemic racism, the you know, systems that we have set up that continue to um, allow that, the things that happen with the police to continue to happen. Now, that being said, I think that we need to be looking for solutions. I'm a solutions person. I don't know all the answers. So I'm someone who's constantly out talking to people, trying to figure out what we should do about this issue. There are people that have more information than I have. I'm running for office, and there's a lot of stuff I don't know yet. But one of the things I do know is that having conversations is really important. One of the things I've done is talk to the fire department, the police department, people who work there to hear their side of the story. And one of the things I've learned since running for Pierce County Council, I had thought, oh, we should just set up a different number for people to call. What we've done is we trained people to call 911 for everything. Oh, there's a person that looks different in my neighborhood. I'm going to call 911. We've in some ways um, enabled this kind of behavior to happen. And so I hold us accountable as well as a society for how we use 911. That being said, I realize that 911 is where things should go through because it's hard to retrain a whole society to call a different number. So I think that what we should be doing is thinking about how, how we hire police officers and why is it that certain people are not hired by the police department? I know somebody who applied to three different police op- police departments, like Pierce County, Tacoma, and another city. And on the the polygraph test, it came back, um, you know, indecisive, inconclusive. And so that person did not get the job. And that person was a Latino. And so I'm wondering how they go about those tests and how it ends up kicking people out that might make great police officers. Hmm. This person had an education, you know, was an upstanding citizen, came from a good family. What is it about the test that kicks somebody like that out? And so that's one of the things is the way we test people. I know that there was a, an article in the Seattle Times just recently about the testing and how it, it does seem a little biased. So that would be my first place to look is who we're hiring as police officers, because I think changing your the 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 group of people who are actually becoming police officers will help change what happens, the outcomes on the streets. The other thing I think is that in order to do all that, we're going to need to give the police department more money. But I'm not sure it necessarily goes to the police department or if it's um, we set up mental health units. I know that they have been doing some mental health stuff, but I don't know if they have the right people in place. And so that's that's the next issue is having the funding to actually do the stuff they need to do. And so people who talk about cutting the funds from the police department, I don't think that that's what we need to do to make it fix to fix it. I think we need to look at how th- who's being hired, how they're doing that, and then making sure that we have services that I know that um, Councilmember Hines talked about, um, and, you know, a, a 
committee they set up or community, like another office they set up that would take care of different types of calls. I think that's the kind of thing that we need to be looking at. That's worked at other cities, and I think that there's always good ideas out there, and I'm glad that our city looks to other cities for what's been working to figure out how we might change things. But Manny Ellis is a sad example of the underfunding and someone who got lost in the mental health, uh, you know, you know, system and didn't get the help that was necessary. We let him down. We're part of the reason that Manny Ellis is not here today. Not just the police officers, but all of the things that happened before that. We weren't able to help that person. And that's going to continue to happen in our city if we don't have the funding necessary to help people who are suffering from mental health issues. And I see that with the homeless crisis is that for instance, the other day I was talking to a police officer and he gave me this example of when there's a call for 911 because there was a woman in distress. She happened to have mental health issues. The fire department waited for the police department to show up because the fire department doesn't know if the person's got a weapon or not. And so they waited for the police. The police got there. They don't feel like they can do anything right now, which possibly that is the case. And there was a mental health expert there as well. And the mental health expert couldn't do anything to help this woman. The person who de-escalated the situation was the fire department. And they took her to the hospital. And then the hospital released her four hours later because she had an addiction issue. In that whole situation, no, no one has really helped this woman who's suffering from mental health issues. And, and we need to figure out how do we serve people in our community? How do we provide them the services that they need so that they are safe for themselves and for other people in our community? And I think that when there's a call into the police department for 911, we should be able to help that person. And that means they shouldn't be found dead on the street. When you said we should maybe fund the police department, but then you said, but maybe the money doesn't go to the police department. What were you thinking the money would go to? Where does it go in that scenario? What I'm thinking is that 911 is the dispatch. Mm -hmm. Calls come in, but there has to be a way that we look at the police department owning these issues because that's where they, they originate but that the money might go to a different pot than just, I don't see it necessarily being police union run, possibly, is what I'm talking about. Maybe it's a, it's through a different vehicle, but it's in the police department. But they work together because these issues, they, they affect everybody. And it's any call could be a mental health call. And we need to, we need to, we need to have it all located in the same place because I think it's going to help police officers become a more, you know, more skilled at those issues because any case could become, you know, if we don't know how to deescalate and talk to people who are having crisis and you know how it is when you get in a situation, domestic violence is a good example, you know, it, it can just go off the handle all of a sudden and that person does something crazy. You need to have that skill set, no matter who you are in the police department, to know how to handle people like that. So having the mental health and all of those issues, you know, so like located in that place will allow for them to get more training on those issues because they're located in the same place. That's what I was sort of thinking. I understand what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Hope that makes sense. Yeah. Um, 
in regards to to Manny Ellis, I think that there's there's the the homicide, which I I feel that we should expect our officers have a higher standard to be able to get through that situation without a homicide. Uh, and then I'm also worried about the cultural issues within the police department that, in my view, kind of swept it under the rug until it turned out that there were cell phone cameras. And that's the part where um, I think having the state laws um, might be a help. I'm, I want to dig into that with you as well, because my sense of it is, is that the police are incorrectly interpreting that when they stand stand down and might just be protesting it. It's, but you're, you're thinking that that's what the law is saying? You know, I've only talked to the one police officer who, by the way, uh, stopped me while I was doorbelling because I had brought a piece of literature to his house hmm. and he had like a locked gate. So I just put it there. His wife is a nurse. She called her husband. He came over to see like what I was doing. Oh, you're leafletling? Le- leafletling? I'm like, um, I'm doorbelling. He's like, oh, you're Sarah Rumba. I'm like, yeah. And so then we had this conversation for an hour. I asked him a whole bunch of questions. So from his perspective, that's how it is. He feels that his hands are tied, that if he does anything, you know, he can't do anything right. Is that the way it is? I don't know. So I'm sort of, I'm, I don't have enough information to really answer that for you. I would say that the Manny Ellis situation is is not okay what happened. It's very upsetting that they're willing to tell whatever story they want to tell because they didn't know that there was, you know, a cell phone video. That that kind of stuff just really upsets me because that's someone's son. That's someone's dad. That's a person that no longer is here any longer. They matter. But it's not just that he died there. We let him down beforehand, and I want to make sure that we can prevent things like that from happening. We can prevent police officers from acting that way by setting up laws that we've set up. Getting different people to be police officers, I think, is another thing. Changing who decides to become a police officer. But I think that if we looked at that testing like I talked about, you might get different people. Um, I think also... I believe in the police department you can't have used any kind of drugs or smoked marijuana to be a police officer. I mean, that's such a high bar to expect yeah. that everybody. I mean, maybe there's some cool person that was in college and smoked marijuana. Why couldn't they be a police officer now? I mean, I think maybe that's something as well as looking at those those um, policies they have and thinking maybe that is kind of antiquated at this point when our state allows you know, that to be legal. I'm just, that's another, that might be a bar that's just a lot, you know, keeping people, uh, certain types of people who would be great community police officers from applying. Yeah. This is related to uh, public safety. Um, How do you feel about vaccine mandates for public employees, including officers? Uh, I think everybody should be mandated to have the vaccine. I care about our community. I'm not going to back down. I was just in Roslyn this weekend, and there's a restaurant there that is promoting unvac- you know, unmasking our children. And so I'm not, not going to eat there ever again. I think that 
we need to make sure that teachers, that our state employees, that our healthcare professionals are are you know are vaccinated. They're dealing with vulnerable populations and and children who under if they're under twelve, right now can't be vaccinated. And I just the rates are you know increasing at the hospitals of kids who are getting sick from COVID. And it's the right thing to do. And so I don't like to call people anti-vaxxers who get who are unvaccinated. I don't know if they're all political. They have other reasons that they're not vaccinated. And I want to support people who have a medical reason they can't. I have a friend who she has an autoimmune disease and she can't get vaccinated. I want to support her. At the same time, if you're in the medical professional, you know, profession, maybe you shouldn't be if you can't get vaccinated. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about some of the, the biggest issues that are facing the district. Are there any things in particular uh, that maybe it's not a big issue, maybe it's just something you'd like to see happen in Tacoma? Could be fun, but just something that like, hey, I'd like to, to see this happen while I'm on council. I really want to promote the idea. You know, I do work for Rebuilding Hope. I'm a contract employee there um, for the Sexual Assault Center for Pierce County. I want to give them a plug. Um, They do such great work, advocacy, prevention. One of the things, and they have, like, amazing therapy um, for anybody who's had suffered or has been a a survivor from sexual assault. We know that— People are re-traumatized by different things that happen in their lives, and we're there for you um, at the Sexual Assault Center. But one of the things I want to see happen is the sex education that we passed last year. I want to see that rolled out in the schools. And I want to see OSPI reaching out to the schools, reaching out to organizations like my organization, talking to them about the sex ed they've been doing. Hmm. We've been doing a lot of sex ed for years at the schools. And I think that I want to prevent sexual abuse from happening. And when people have tools, kids have tools and know what's right and wrong, they will do, they will get help if something's happening to them. And, you know, I have my own sexual um, abuse story that happened to me when I was a little girl. So I want to make sure that that doesn't happen to other kids. So that's something that I want to make I want to make a bigger deal out of that I think uh, the whole idea of the pandemic has not the idea, but that event has caused even more sexual abuse to happen in our community. And it's sort of we're not talking about it no. because we don't talk about sex in our society. I'm not sure how often talk, you talk about sex on this show anyways, but I haven't heard anyone else talk about it's, it. But I I'm gonna, I think it's a new, new one. <laughs> I'm going to talk I'm, about yeah, it because yeah. I'm not afraid to talk about sex. Sex is not a bad thing, but people should not be hurting other people. Yeah. And it happens. It's intimate. It can happen um, on you know, dates, and it's happening to children in our, in our community every day by people that are supposed to be taking care of them. And so I think that that sex ed bill that we passed is necessary, and we need to make sure that that happens in the schools, that kids are getting that information, and it's not happening yet. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. You right. had not been uh, tracking uh, the status of that ever since since passage last year. Yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. Another thing I really care about is the greening of our city. 
Um, we have a lot of concrete deserts, you know, of areas in our city south to come as a good example. And I know that Metro Parks has been working with schools to create green spaces. Um, they should be available to everybody. They should not be locked after dark. So if a school is considered the green area, we need to make sure that the neighborhood can use that that facility and those green spaces. Um, that's important. Street trees are really important. We need to make sure that because we are seeing climate change and seeing the temperatures rising, that we are actually making sure that there are, and it sounds like this is a silly thing, but it really does lower the temperature in neighborhoods if you remove the concrete and add green space. And street trees are really important. And we have programs at the city of Tacoma where you can get those trees. So that's another thing I really care about. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So uh, why don't we wrap up, and why don't uh, you give a closing pitch? Why vote for Sarah Rumbaugh for District 2? I think that I would provide the leadership that our city council needs. I mean, I have a city planning background. I've worked for nonprofits. I'm on the I'm the president of the Associate Ministries Board. Um, they do a lot for homelessness, which we didn't even get to talk to, about them today. Uh, I think that I would provide that vision that we need on our city council. I'm not afraid to do hard things. I'm here today running for office. It's probably one of the most difficult things I've done in my life. But I did it before, and I know I could do it this time. I've been out at the doors. I've been meeting people in my district, and I resonate with them. The things I'm talking about, they care about. And so I I just think I'll be a great asset for my district and for my city. That's why I'm running. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, If someone wants to find you on the Internet, where would you point them? SarahRumba.com. You can find me there. You can find me on Facebook, Friends of Sarah Rumbaugh. I'm easy to find, and uh, I'm not afraid to take a phone call. If you, My um, email is info at sarahrumbaugh.com. Send me an email, and I will call you back with any questions that you might have. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to sit down on Citizen Tacoma. Thanks for being my first podcast. <laughs> Happy to. Thanks. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Citizen Tacoma is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.